So, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. We're in a series going through Paul's letter to the uh, to the Romans, and we're unpacking the microaggressors. And remember, microaggressors are uh, really a term that's been coined by social scientists to, to describe the feelings that particularly young adults are, are, are having when, they, when they're feeling challenged or uh, offended, and they call it microaggressors, and they're looking for some safety from that and causes causes anxiety and such. So we're using that term because Paul is doing that. And maybe he's doing it purposely. I think he is. I think he's really poking his eyes in the theologians of the day, including the Christians. And uh, some of the stuff he's saying is is amazing and glorious, and yet it's very, very troubling. And, and I think that's very refreshing. I think we need to start dialoguing about it. So look, you don't have to take my word for it. That's fine. Uh, but let's at least bring it into the dialogue. So this podcast and next podcast, so Microaggressor 8 and 9, will cover the, the same passage, Romans 5, 1 to 5, 5. Uh, and so here it is. Today, uh, in this podcast, we're just looking at the very first verse, Romans 5, 1. But here we go, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. All right. Uh, microaggressor lovers or haters. Here's a passage that's pretty popular from the pulpits. I mean, it's one of the first passages, extended passages that I memorized as a young Christian. Uh, it seems hopeful, right? At the end, anyway, it, it seems like a shot in the arm for people who struggle. In the end, there's hope and character and perseverance and even the love of God experienced at the end. So our suffering, therefore, has a purpose. That seems to be the point as most people teach or preach through this. And it's true, suffering without purpose is dehumanizing. I mean, scientists have showed us that. And from a brain's perspective, suffering without a purpose, a point, an end, an explanation is very, very, very dangerous. It can rewire your brain. Psychiatrist, famous psychiatrist Viktor Frankl writes, despair is suffering without meaning. Suffering without meaning. So those who despair of their suffering find life unbearable. And as a result, they may want to die or commit suicide. And you might be in that place and find comfort in these verses. And I'm, I'm going to suggest in the end, there's even more comfort here. We just have to mine it differently. Another author put it this way. If you've ever struggled with trying to find a purpose behind your pain, then you need to read this. Maybe it's a sickness that has lingered for far too long. Perhaps it's a long-standing medical ailment that will only get worse over time accompanying you for the rest of your mortal days. Maybe it's a relationship that's causing you pain, other family members unable to get a handle on life, and you're left suffering the collateral damage. Perhaps it's a job that drains you, or a boss whose aim, only aim in life is to make you miserable. Or maybe your pain has to do with your faith. God's silent. God's absent. God isn't answering your prayers. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be sufferings. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. Um, 
Or maybe, you know, to, to localize it, maybe you're having to suffer through an extended pandemic that never seems to end. Uh, there's economic sufferings related, health sufferings, relational sufferings, physical, emotional, spiritual sufferings and abuses that, that lead to a sense of deprivation and shame and feeling like there's just no way out of this dark tunnel. And in, in related to all of this, and maybe to make matters worse, there's that nasty brain voice, the beast I call mine, in my head that's, that says, bottom line, the whole point is God has abandoned you. God's given up on you. He stopped liking you. He stopped protecting you, your family, your nation, right? Three strikes, and you, you're at strike 3,041. You know, so good luck. But maybe I'm uh, giving voice to lots of pulpits throughout our land. If you just got your Christian act together and did what Jesus would do, you know, finally humble prayer, give up your wicked ways, repent, and really repent. I mean, doing it right, not uh, badly, but, you know, really, really repent then just maybe God would come back and protect you and bless you and put you on an extended time of probation. The point is, there's there's hope. Look, all of that, uh, the last part of it is theological BS. And hopefully, if you followed the gospel rant, you understand what I'm talking about. But i got to say, it makes sense to our brain, to our culture, to our society, to the evangelical church, the secular humanism that seeped in. And... It also makes sense based upon how we're treated in our regular day-to-day relationships. In some ways, we try to take those and project how God treats us, and that's just the wrong way of doing things. God's way of dealing with us is so different because of the cross. Well, so, so back to Romans 5. Is this what Paul's doing here? Is he trying to comfort beat-up, struggling Christians who are wondering if God still cares? If they and God are good, if they've messed up, is this an ancient Tony Robbins kind of chat, you know? Just come on, do it. If you In your struggles, keep looking up. There'll be a light at the end of the tunnel, a silver lining to the dark cloud. In the end, there's something more. So that should keep you going. Just keep thinking about that. Well, yes and no. Uh, yeah, and, and it is that. I'm not going to squash that <clears throat> totally. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. But it's so much more than that. What if I could show you that God has so much more in mind for you right now, his beloved child, than, than character, than individual perseverance and hope, as good as those things are. Uh, without this other thing, those things are meaningless. What if I could show you that? Yeah? Challenge accepted. <laughs> we'll look at verse 1 in this podcast. Romans 5.1. So here's the key. Whenever you read justification, justified, righteous, righteousness, don't think uh, that your bio is just scrubbed of all the bad things or that legally speaking through a loophole of substitutionary atonement, you are just made presentable to God. It is that, uh, but it is so much more than that. See, theologians, they seem comfortable with just that singular aspect of our salvation. And theologians, come on, let's face it, they tend to be a little more PhD-ish, a little heady, kind of more like Spock on old Star Trek than Captain Kirk, or, or Spock's adopted sister, Michael Burnham, in the new Star Trek Discovery series, which is pretty good, by the way. Yeah, she's fully human, but was raised in Spock's household, a few years older than Spock. I love that. And she struggles. Even though she's human, she's not half Vulcan. She struggles with emotions and relationships just because of her family of origin, right? Or, or adoption. But viewers know. We know her humanity is there. We can see it. It's just guarded and, and uh, something that she's anxious about. Well, 
I think theologians tend to be a little like that. They want to keep it logical. They want to keep, they want to avoid human emotionalism of any and all kind, right? They didn't go uh, to graduate school to learn about emotions. They went to learn about how to exegete the Greek words. So they're in our head, uh, and me too. We're, I'm way into my head. God help our spouses. But Paul's not. And Paul crosses that bridge. Uh, there's a big bridge between rational and emotional, and Paul regularly crosses that. So when you read of uh, being justified, like in verse 1, it's not just positional and legal, kind of cold, and it's all done. It's contractual. It is that, but it's also wildly relational. Here we go. Jesus not only paid for all of our legal debts, he also purchased all of God's love for us. The greatest of all emotionalism, God's love for us. So how does it work? In the Old Testament, uh, check out Deuteronomy 28, for instance, there's a deal made by God and humanity. If you're perfectly faithful and do everything according to all the law of God requires, right? everything, all, 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 every. And ultimately, that includes loving God and loving others with all your heart, mind, and soul. You win. And the prize is that not only do you not get punished because there's nothing to punish, you earn, you win all of the blessings that's listed. And among them, there's a lot, but among them is the blessing of perfect relational standing with God. Meaning, in our terminology, God actually loves you with all of the love in the universe. He does. He adores you. The success of Jesus is extended to you as his child is put into your bio, and so now what Jesus earned is now yours. You didn't earn it, but it's yours. So now God, technically, legally speaking, in a very narrow, narrow human sense, has to love you. And by the way, he does. As much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Uh, if you've heard the simple, uncluttered gospel from, from uh, previous lectures and talks and, and presentations, good. You can get those prayer cards, by the way, the bookmarks, the simple, uncluttered gospel bookmarks, so you can have it with you over and over and over and preach it to that your midbrain. Uh, and so I would recommend it at the uh, gospel-app.com website. So there is no justification without relational joy with God, right? There isn't. There's no grace, right? Verse 2, without the loving pursuit of the romantic God. In fact, and I'll say a little bit more next podcast, but this is what grace is after all. It's not a stuff or a power, an on-off switch, an energy pill. It's a person who is not only present, God, the Holy Spirit, but likes you and manifests that to you, makes you, makes it, makes you feel it. The word peace, right? Uh, also, verse 2 is more than just an absence of conflict. It's the relational posture where love grows between two people. So peace is not the just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of unrestricted love, right? And that's hope, verse 2. That's what we want. So here in Romans 5.1, with all of these necessary interpretive elements in place, it sounds different, way different. Spock and Michael Burnham and many theologians just wouldn't feel comfortable in this. But here is an interpretive translation of, of 5, verse 1. It's legit. Um, and push back. I'm okay with that. Here we go. Romans 5.1. And it's expanded and interpretive. So since we have been swept up into this furious love affair with God, meaning justified, made relationally right with, with all the trimmings, strictly because of what Jesus did on our behalf, and we believe it, that's faith, all possible hostilities from God's point of view have ceased to possibly exist between us. We are at peace, and so now nothing can diminish the fresh flow of his love every day to me. 
He was enraged at Jesus in our place, and it's finished, no matter what I do. God's love for me has never changed. He's never angry or disgusted or judgmental toward me. I'm never on probation. I never have to worry that he would get ticked off and change his mind. So, I mean, isn't that better than the typical dry imagining of God being kind of indifferent to your suffering, waiting to see how you end up, uh, giving you sufferings and then backing off to, because he knows that, you know, perseverance would look good on you, right? And somehow placing your mental and emotional well-being on you and your shoulders and on your prefrontal cortex to to be reminded and work so hard to remember that there's a long-term game here and, and God's love is at the end. Just keep up the faith up, whatever you mean by that. Don't give up. Right? That sounds so deistic to me. Rather, God adores you right now. If you would just tap into the Spirit in your inner being and, and ask and access the power of God through him in your inner being, you would begin to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for you right now. And his pride in you and his adoration for you during these difficult times. So this is more than just a rational purpose. It's something far, far, far more. God's a loving co-conspirator. Way, 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 Dr. Bill. <laughs> this seems out of line with everything I've heard and I've been taught. It seems a little towards emotionalism, right? So how do you know? Well, <clears throat> simple answer. And uh, right in the Pauline text, and we'll pick it up more on the next podcast. But check out Paul's bottom line in this section, the punchline, the end of the argument, the point that he is preaching towards, right? Uh, you know, end of the message where you go, and by the way, and here's what I've been trying to convince you of. He doesn't say the exercise of mental hoping and, and rational perseverance doesn't disappoint because God's at the end to pat you on the back and make you feel good about your success of faithfulness. And maybe then, when you've pulled it off, he'll say, well, at least this time, I can say, well done, good and faithful servant. So here's a prize. Uh, feel good. Here's, here's a star to put on your forehead. Take the win and run with it. No, that's not what Paul says. That is kind of how we lean into it when we teach it. The goal is, and by the way, to some degree, why bad things happen is different. Romans 5.5. 5. This is Paul. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us, not at the end of the sufferings, but all throughout. And that's what we need to, to really uh, put it all in balance and to, to hold up our own. We actually need to feel loved. So if you go the Spockian approach, this verse is way out of sync. Right, Romans 5.5, 5, because it seems like Paul's changing the topic. I mean, we're going from me persevering and, and me having hope, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit uh, love poured out. I mean, something's weird there, right? It's it, it looks like Paul looked back, read over his arguments, and went, wow, I went dark all of a sudden, kind of depressing. And so i got to quickly toss in a verse, uh, you know, to give some people, you know, oh, yeah, remember, God loves you. But no, it's the point. It's the punchline. Don't try to do your struggle without experiencing just a little bit more of the height and width and length and depth of the love of God for you that Jesus purchased for you 2,000 years ago, whether you are faithful in your struggles or not, whether you're successful in your struggles or not, whether you make it through it without losing faith. 
God's love doesn't change. Does that make a difference? All right, we're going to pick this up more in the next podcast. We'll get into the, the next verses. But for now, yeah, let this rest and be microaggressed. You don't have to agree with me. That's cool. But take some time to take off the Vulcan ears a bit and enter into the arms of God by faith, by his power, through his spirit and your inner being, Ephesians 3. See, the point is, ultimately, your struggles are hopeless. Uh, Hopeless. Less because you can't see the purpose, and more, right? More because you feel isolated and alone, and uh, that you're on trial by God. And either you succeed or you fail, and, and God's love is dependent upon that. Right? So your your struggling is hopeless, less because you can't see purpose, and more because you feel isolated and alone and on probation. Well, the gospel, man, that's, that's contrary to the gospel. And the gospel experience can begin to repair that. This is one of the core strategies behind our online experience, the dance. And that's the only biblical online experiential journey to help Christians who feel isolated and alone and like they're not enough to begin to feel the arms of God around them again, right? www.the-dance.org, and you'll feel surprised. Uh, here's one testimony of a, of a senior who just lost her husband uh, a year ago and still struggles with feelings of isolation and aloneness. Here's what she writes after going through the dance. I was blown away, cried a lot, thought about things a lot. It triggered understanding and grief extremely difficult and extremely useful. It's mind-blowing. I need to stop wallowing in depression and get on with my life. Yeah, she experienced this embrace of God. Very, very, very cool. All right, uh, we'll see you at the next podcast where we'll pick up Romans 5, 2 and following. Take heart, child of God. Life Audio presents Bridges with Monica Schmelter. That we have an enduring hope that can't be taken away when we are in Christ. And to know that we have that, right? And eternal salvation, because this world can be so busy and so dark that we can forget that, right? right? Because sometimes I get caught in the trappings of what's going on in my life this moment. And while I have to recognize that, that's not it. Continue listening on lifeaudio.com or wherever you find your podcast.